welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear stories of someone brave enough to bear it all. Let's get naked. Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Today I'm here with Matt Zinman. Matt, how are you? Excellent. How are you doing, Jen? I'm fine. We pre-gamed and so we're already having fun. I had to stop having fun to do the podcast so we could have fun on this. Got it. Yeah. You are an author of a book that I find very interesting, but because you and I align in so many ways, um, it's called Z-isms, Insights to Live By, and I love what you're doing. Can you tell me a little bit about it? For sure. Thank you. Uh, Z-isms is really about anybody who have those pearls of wisdom and uh, insights to live by uh, that they've learned over time, that they share with others, uh, all with the goal to positively impact as many people as possible. That's certainly my goal with the book. And it really focuses across self-discovery and mindfulness and then personal relationships and, and then getting into um, energy and law of attraction and, and mind, you know, mindfulness and heightening it, but then into life enrichment. So anything having to do, you know, for anyone who wants to uh, create a life enrichment and personal development plan, that's there for them to, to make it actionable. I love it. And you're writing this like you're writing it to me if I'm reading it. I'm assuming right. you're writing it to me because right. so there you <laughs> It's like a personal right. conversation. I, I really, really like this. And then it's your experience positively, which is what this podcast is. Absolutely. And but, but we're getting we're getting you know to some kind of naked truth here, so I'm wondering. We are, we are, we are. What so, you have in store for me? Well, we never know. I never know what you have in store for me any more uh, than you know what's in store for you. Right. So that's the good news. I want to go back in time and talk really because this book clearly was launched from a passion that's inside you and how you took issues in your life and turned them around in a positive direction. And that's what this podcast is about. So let's go back in time. Sure. Um, any particular place you want me to start? I can go well, all the way. There was conception and then birth. Okay. After conception. No, I, I, you know, I would say that one of the common threads for me in life uh, has been playing ice hockey. Oh. And uh, I've done it since I was uh, six, seven years old. And uh, one of the early experiences and that, that really was defining for me was I was I was on ice with my my first clinic just learning how to stand on blades and older kids were on the ice and one of them took a slap shot and uh, hit me in the face and broke my jaw three places I know right my poor mom um, why am I bringing this up it's because I still play I I it was important to me to be able to uh, you know, after I was done eating through a straw for quite some time. Um, it was important for me to, to keep going. And it's been, you know, a common thread for me through my life and the friendships I've made and the experiences I've had. Uh, I went to Temple University I'm in, in Philadelphia and uh, Captain Temple for my junior senior year, undefeated champion. So, you know, you get that experience of throwing the gloves and sticks everywhere. And uh, I played on Team USA when I was a teen on travel um, across Europe. And now it's just beer league for me, but I still have some, <laughs> some very good friends and, and there's just been, it's just been that common thread for me that has helped me earn respect and, and, and the friendships that I've had. So, um, I hadn't really planned on it, but that's really where I wanted to start here today. I love it. Uh, where did you grow up? In and around Philadelphia. Okay. So yeah. I grew up in Rhode Island and when you're in like the new England area, and we don't have accents. I never picked up an accent on you. I don't have an accent. I don't either. <laughs> it depends. I guess it depends, it depends who's listening. Who's <laughs> so if, if Australia, if you can hear us. We have an accent. We have an accent. <laughs> yes, but that like New England-ish accent you don't have. So my dad actually grew up outside, I mean, lived outside of Philadelphia. So I spent time over in that area. I have a Philadelphia Flyers shirt. Do you? Yes. Well, I'm a, well, of course, I'm a big Flyers fan. I was born the day the Flyers played their first game. Oh, my gosh. It's true. Yeah, so I, I have a common thread with them, and it's probably yeah. what inspired me to play. That's when they won the Stanley Cup. That's the last time they won it. That's, that is. It is all you. You are the reason. Your birth. You think so? <laughs> well, I mean, why not claim it if you can? I'm not going to take credit. We're going to you know, <laughs> Okay, all right. It, could, it is possible. 
Potentially, if allegedly. If you say so, I'm okay. going to go with it. I'm okay. going to go with you. I won't disagree with you now. <laughs> so You're hockey's... asking all these questions. <laughs> hockey is such a big thing in the East Coast. Right. And a lot of people who, like, I, I'm, in the, I'm in Nevada, and it's not a big not, deal. Not a lot of hockey in the desert. No, not a lot of hockey in the desert. But it's very competitive. It's super intense. It's really physical. Uh, it's hard to get on those good teams. So congratulations. Thanks. And the fans go absolutely ballistic. Right. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm, I, I miss, right, in my younger playing yeah. days, you know, having the, you know, big crowds and faces lining the glass, you know, it's all empty stands for us now, but <laughs> I just, I, you know, I just, I love it. And, uh, you know, one of the things going back to your original question, uh, I'm, I'm the youngest of four mm -hmm. and I'm, a, I'm like five years behind uh, my, my next brother. And so it was mainly me, my parents and I, I was, you know, my high school days, I was kind of like an only, yeah. everyone was out of the house. And so we moved from the house I grew up in to, uh, another area entirely moved away from all of my friends and the school I went to without getting into, into much detail was just upside down. I, you know, I was already going through those adjustments. It was, it was hard. Uh, and I was, I wasn't the happiest, uh, camper there. And so it was with my friends that I played hockey with that I decided to change high schools, which happened to be, um, uh, a Catholic school. So uh, I was raised Jewish. I was the first, first Jewish kid to go to a Catholic school in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. And I would say that hockey played an important role for me that first year uh, in terms of uh, the adjustment and, you know, the, the, the friendships and, and the, the, the gaining of respect uh, at a time when I was, you know, I was up against it in terms of being the first uh, in that regard. Catholic schools also, I was born in 70. So I'm not sure when you were born, how close we are in age. 67. Yeah, I thought we were really close in age. So um, big deal in the East Coast. The, I was like United Methodist, which is not as tough as Jewish. And it was like 99.9% .9 Catholic and Catholic schools. And then there were us, you know, those of us who, and then the not Catholics. Right. What kind yeah. of trans, that was a huge transition. I was already in transition, you know, yeah. and that's why I, I, I guess when you ask that question and that really seems to be the common thread for me, uh, you know, through my life, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's one of the, one of the great loves of my life is, is playing. It's a great outlet for me. And, uh, uh, unfortunately with, uh, you know, some of the limitations right, right now, the, you know, the rinks are less open, but you know, we still, we still do the, we still do the virtual happy hour. So oh, good. Well, that's what's important. It's not a complete loss. <laughs> you're, you're on the beer league. The league's done, but the beer's still there. Right. Yeah, so I it, wasn't really like, kidding. It is beer league. <laughs> that's awesome. But it, it changes. So I know we're going to talk more about your struggle, but while we're talking about hockey, I want you to tell us, because we all build tools through the struggles and the good times. So you had to have built a tremendous toolbox in playing hockey from getting a slap shot to the face and breaking your jaw in three pieces, three places. Were you wired shut? Yeah. Oh yeah. I bet. I mean, I can't even imagine yeah. from that, the tough stuff and you know, the, the competitive side and getting on those teams. Cause you got on those teams. That doesn't mean you like, you're like, yeah, I'm just going to show up and be on this team. You actually, it's not easy to get on these teams. It's pretty competitive. And then the blessing. So what skill sets did you learn in in your hockey career? Cause it's been like almost your whole life. Right. That's a really good question. I, well, certainly one. friendships and just the structure and the discipline and you know, the hard work. I mean, growing up, I mean, my summers, I was actually up in Canada training. And so day in and day, out, I mean, that's where the, that's where hockey, you know, yeah. that's, where you, that's where you go. Uh, at least in the Northern hemisphere. Yeah. And it was it was intense right you know day in and day out and and the, the drills and the things that go with it and i and you know for team usa i mean i literally was probably the last walk on in fact i think i was a sub that came in for somebody who couldn't go so i'm i'm definitely not here saying i was you know going to go pro or anything like that but it was just a just great experience for me um so those experiences the 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 traveling the staying with host families uh, you know, those are things that just exposed me at a young age and then throughout uh, to, to just gain the skills that, 
that go with them. It's funny, I heard something and I, I haven't found the source of this, but somebody had done some kind of research or study that said that of, of successful people, that they either played an, an organized sport, to, which reminds me of why you know, you're asking the question, or they were in the military, or they took some form of martial art or did something in the discipline of like a yoga or something like that. That there's a, a very um, high percentage of that kind of a common thread. I'm not surprised. I think the structure and the discipline sounds true to here. me. Yeah, yeah. Right. Just for that, just for that structure, and like hours, and not just hours, but really physically difficult and emotionally difficult hours that you're spending hyper-focused and trying to get better. I mean, what a great skill for business, right? For life, for anything. It, it definitely, it definitely translates. I mean, the work ethic and things that come with it. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is, it's a really good question. I hadn't quite thought of it that way in reflection, but yeah, I think anybody who's been through uh, an, an organized sport at, at some level for a number of period of years will, will look to that as, as their foundation. I think also when you push yourself, you have to push yourself physically really in, like a lot in that. And I think probably you can come to the realization that like I survived that. I actually have a hundred percent success rate in surviving all my bad days and moments, right? We all do. We get through them one way or the other. I talk about that a lot myself. You're right. Oh, we yes, we do. hundred percent success rate. So, but that doesn't mean that they're not really, really hard. But if you can get through some of those things, then maybe other things aren't as difficult. Right. So, I mean, that's really kind of the foundation of a lot of, of what I've been talking about lately, which I describe as earned confidence. Mm. And so the exact thing that you just described and, you know, very, very much a meeting of the minds. Um, it's, it's chapter one and it's a common thread throughout, throughout the conversation. And it's really about staying in the present and recognizing that look you know i've been through everything i've been through and i'm still standing right yeah no matter what that is we've all been through whatever ringer um resonates with with our life experiences and it's easy for people to to go in day in day out and start worrying about things or having anxiety or stressing and this is kind of a way to outsmart it assumptions are another one and so if you yeah. just if you just deal with the real knowing that's what you've always done and so it stands to reason you can now and always will, then it's a great way to, to just ground yourself and, and remain present. And, and, uh, and gratitude has a lot to do with that. Too. Oh yeah. Yeah. But we're so aligned. So I talk about uh, with my kids, the story you create in your mind. So I think that's kind of what you're relating to. No. Yeah. I mean, it's just a reminder that I've, I've got this. Assumptions. You know, it, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you're assumptions. Well, that's a, we would go on assumptions probably the whole time. Right. Now. But I think we, I talk about labels. So it's not that other people label us. It's that we do it to ourselves. And that's right. maybe hand in hand with assumptions. And yeah, yeah, I know this could be a total tangent. I think it's like, you know, why be anything other than kind to yourself along these lines? And, and you might have some kind of uh, a conversation with somebody or, um, you know, at work. And you're, you're right. You make an assumption and you know, maybe you think someone thinks less of you or you didn't think you said something, right? You have a standard for, and then you start beating yourself up for thinking that you said something wrong or you didn't sound right about it. And why? Right. right? It's, it's for nothing. So you, know, yeah. you made it this far, you don't need to do that kind of thing. We're gonna jump back in. Sure. You moved during high school and that was, I mean, <laughs> Jewish to Catholic school. Just that, right. just that's one podcast episode. Um, but you were struggling with other stuff that was going on. Was this, right. did, did it start before this move or was that kind of the catalyst to it? No, it was before and you're referring, you know, one of the things that I, I, I speak to and I, I felt like the personal disclosures were important in having that private, you know, personal conversation, um, that I've had to contend with depression since my, my early teens um, that preceded, uh, you know, even my high school days. And it, I, I definitely didn't have the, the best gene pool here. So my, my mom was, a, you know, suffered from depression. Um, my dad was bipolar. Um, and, and my brother, my brother David in particular also, you know, had it pretty bad. So that is certainly another thing that shapes you, of course, and, you know, experiencing 
those uh, those depths or, or not anything I wish on anybody. And I've certainly had my challenges with it over the years, not in some time now, but thankfully. But it's also because I try and fold into my lifestyle things I need to do to not let that happen. So it it just makes it all the more all the more top of mind. But yeah, I mean it's more it's more it's chemical and circumstantial. I mean, I've certainly, you know, at this point in life, I think for for all of us, you know, we've, we've, you know, had our challenges. So. Growing up with a dad who was bipolar and a mom was who had depression, did you feel like you would have experienced your own depression had that not been the case? Did that play a significant role in your own or were you separate from that and just coincidental? I, I don't know that I can transfer the experience of, of kind of being in a caretaker role or, or having right. to um, adapt to, you know, that feeling of not knowing what kind of state of mind anyone, particularly my dad is in, you know, if he was coming home from work or something, you know, growing mm-hmm. up as a kid, uh, certainly being exposed to it. Uh, you know, didn't make it as, as, as foreign. Uh, I mean, I, 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 you know, I knew it was going on, but I don't think that it really, you know, when you experience that within yourself, I, I don't know that your external experience with other people who mm-hmm. think through that, um, you know, give you much of an advantage. No, I mean, maybe you'll know what to look for. Did you, do you think you were better at getting help for yourself because you mm. saw it? Oof. Or recognize it or. Um, I'm trying to think back then, I don't know I realized it. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm going back to my early teens here. Yeah. This is 80, mid eighties, 85. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm talking eighties. Anything (laughs) pre-college, you know, is takes a little bit of a pause. Um, You know, I don't know that I really um, could consider myself fully diagnosed or um, addressing it in any meaningful or structured way until my later teens or even my early twenties mm-hmm. um, when, when I was more proactive or I, I really just gotten lower than I ever had experienced up until then. And, you know, you don't have a choice. You have to, you know, you have to pull yourself out. So, but I, but at that point, and certainly knowing back now, I know that I had experienced that at some level. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and I, you know, I take some of this head on um, as well. I mean, I look at it from like a mood scale. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a thermometer and you could say, well, here's perfect balance, whatever that is. And then there's a range of normal and again, whatever that is, but we all kind of know yeah. we have this range of happy and sad. And then what happens when you, when you dip just below, you don't even know it. Right. It's kind of like that. Um, it's like that spring feeling like, Oh, it's spring. I feel like myself again. Well, what were you like just last, you know, a few months and you, you, you were down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not until you really start sinking. It's like quicksand. Yeah. Um, that you have to realize, like I do this two to three day rule that I, I've done this for years now. It's been, it's been really helpful to me that I know I'm going to have this day or that day. It could be weather or punching the gut. I mean, just, mm-hmm. you know, life happening. But if I get to a third day, no matter how hard it is, I really put myself in action. I have to create mm-hmm. structure. Um, I have to work out. Um, I look for things to reach out to other people who lift me up. Um, and I want to speak to this here from a practical standpoint point for, you know, to have the benefit of this conversation for people who are listening to recognize it for themselves. And, you know, what do you do? And who are, these are coping skills, of course, Yes. But, you know, who are the people that lift you up? But it's one thing to talk about it. And it's, you talk about, oh, I really need to get to the gym. You know, that feeling we all have when we're kind of out of that groove, it's that much harder, right? You still have to make yourself do it. But I, I just don't give myself a choice because I know what the consequences of not doing it are. And it makes it completely worth making sure that I, I keep myself uh, feeling well. What was your low point in depression? And what were the things you did to bridge the gap between back then and now where you know in two, if it's two days, you need to, you need to be proactive? Mm. Wow. I mean, I've had a number of bouts. I, I don't right. know that I, I can. I'd say that you know, one of the other things that it, it kind of coincided, you know, with, with different things that were going on for me. So it was in my, my mid twenties. Um, I also got, um, some, some very unexpected and, and as bad news as, as it gets with my mom. And, 
so she was off in some way that we didn't quite know for uh, a year or two. And my, my, my dad and mom like, like brought us to like together, you know, for a family uh, gathering with a therapist and, you know, just this, this family session. And it was like this big, you know, reveal. And we kind of knew there was, there was something, but um, what happened was she had a routine surgery in the early eighties and um, had tainted blood transfusion and contracted HIV. Um, and, you know, at that time, I mean, the reason for the two years, I mean, the stigma was so bad back then, you mm -hmm. know, she was literally afraid to tell her own family. I can only, you know, I, I can't even imagine. Um, and she got the worst of it. Right. I mean, there, there weren't, there was no, uh, there was no cocktail or anything back then. So having to go through those, um, you know, 10 or 12 years, especially in, in the last five, three to, you know, how many times it was that we thought we were going to lose her. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, you just never prepare yourself for that. You can't ever be fully prepared for that, but just the up and down of it, um, you know, just from a life management standpoint, aside from having to deal with the, you know, the uh, clinical depression, you know, those events were certainly very, very low points back then. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't help contribute <laughs> to anything positive at that point. So what, when did you start realizing you had to do something that more than two days or what did you do? Did you do traditional talk therapy at first? Did you, what modality yeah. kind of? I mean, it's been off and on over the years. I mean, mm -hmm. I've certainly, you know, had years and, you know, I think there's this huge stigma. I mean, what am I, th I mean, think there is, right. And, and it's another reason why I, I'm, I'm more comfortable talking about it. I feel like it is something that needs to be taken head on. And I mean, our brains are part of our body. I, you know, so why we, why we separate this into a different category from physical health um, is beyond me. But I, I really think that either someone individually or someone certainly within their family or close to them, I don't, I, I can, I can believe that I have a hard time believing that no one's been that close to some kind of mental health event themselves. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right? Wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah. So, you know, they get it too. And I think that it's very, um, it's very healthy to um, have a therapist when you need it. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't, um, you know, I, I frankly haven't felt the need for some years now, but mm -hmm. I certainly had a straight decade, you know, or, yeah. you know, here or there where that was part of my, um, you know, part of my health maintenance and, um, you know, that's just, a, it's just a different venue where you can get into things that, you know, you don't necessarily need to talk to your friends about and, you know, it's, right. It's, right. So yeah, that, I mean, as a modality, that was certainly part of it too. Yeah. Physical exercise. I know you've said, um, therapy is always good. Some people use energy work. I did accidentally. And when I realized that's what it was, I was like, Oh, I actually kind of like that. So, I mean, we all fall into different things in different ways or search them out. And so that's kind of why I was asking you, you know, what things really helped at that point and got you to this two day rule, which is great. Like checking in with right. yourself. That's a big, that's bridging a huge gap. I mean, just, I mean, it's, it's like a habit you have to form. It's yeah. like a rule. I mean, look, if I get to, if I get to the third day, I mean, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's way beyond trying to get to the gym, but you have to just parent yourself. I don't know how else to put it. And it's yeah. like, you will do this. Yeah. <laughs> you have no choice. Uh, there's nothing like not giving yourself a choice to make you do something. And, and that's just kind of the rule. Um, so with your mom with the HIV and her depression and your, they, they were married, they stayed married. Yeah. Oh, sure. How did that relationship work with depression and bipolar? Did they have a really good rhythm and system? Because it could be really great and could be really bad. Well, I mean, her depression also came and went. Um, yep. Certainly, in, in having that that you know affliction, um, you know, she, um, you know, over years, you know, she she it, it progressed into dementia, which was was really, oh. um, you know, I you know, we could watch the same movie with her every day, you know, and yeah. Right. So he was a good caretaker, my dad. And, and, you know, at, at, at a certain point they moved to Florida because that, you know, she was just in a, it was less likely that she was going to get sick down there. Yeah. Right. That's what you want to avoid. You want to avoid crossing over from, 
you know, the immune deficiency to um, having it advanced from getting sick. So and that was a big move. And, um, you know, so I wasn't there all the time because they, you know, yeah. they were there. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I mean, being bipolar doesn't mean you're, you're, you're off all the time. I mean, my, my father, you know, certainly there's, you know, had his um, moments. Um, and, and, and I wouldn't exactly say that he was somebody that owned up to it back then either. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very evident to us, um, my, my brothers, my sister and I, but, um, yeah, they, yeah, they stayed together and, and I give my dad all the credit in the world, you know, for, for seeing her through everything. I mean, it was not easy for anybody and, you know, for sickness, you know, and sickness and health and, and, and all of that, he, you know, he did it. Awesome. That's awesome. Let's keep moving forward. Sure. Cause I have bullet points of chronological order. So I have like the cheat sheet, I have the mat cheat sheet. Okay. So let's move forward. The next big issue I think is single dad. Hmm. So right. bridge that gap a little bit. Yeah, that was a real, um, I mean, we're talking about 2002. Okay. And my son Jake was two at the, at the time and he's 19 now, obviously, if, you know, the math. You're doing math. Yeah. The math is, the math <laughs> is consistent. Um, and it, you know, it's, you know, I was just talking about vows and, and I think that's a, a really significant segue because I take them very seriously. And of course, when a child is, is part of that, um, it's a huge decision. And, and for me, you know, his mom and I, you know, in raising him, we have always been really great co-parents, but in living together and the, and just knowing that that relationship got to the point, obviously where, um, the feeling was that that needed to happen. My rationale was that I did not it, I did not want my son growing up in a, in a, in a house that was stressed. Mm. Um, and that I could, that I could, you know, give him a better experience. That was, and, and I, I know that was the right decision, quite honestly. I mean, I'm remarried now for a few years, but you know, for the bulk of the time, right till he was 15, it was, you know, it was, it was just he and I. And so when you have one, that's also a whole, a whole different ball game, right? You're, yeah. You know, it's not 18. Like some people. <laughs> like some people. Some pipe, like some people. I um, think one is harder. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, but I wouldn't, so in 2002, I mean, my, my career up until that point, I was in mm-hmm. marketing and communication and I started my own firm in conjunction with that because I needed the flexibility. And also because yeah. I actually happened to get a, a contract, you know, serendipitously that anchored me to get into that business for, for the first couple of years, um, in just that, just that one. And so my life was very compartmentalized. I mean, when I'm with Jake, I'm with Jake. I mean, in that, those first years, it's, you know, I'm half the time I'm, you know, man in an apartment, diapers and bottles, you know, and then, uh, when he's not with me, it's, it's, you know, head down and, and, and working. Um, I loved it. I loved it. And, and then since then, I, I wouldn't, the freedom, I mean, you talk about like, you know, life values and I, I wouldn't say for, you know, by any stretch that it's been easy, you know, on the entrepreneur side and then, you know, without getting too much on a tangent, you know, I founded a nonprofit and I've been doing that for the most part the past 15 years, it's kicking and scratching and, and everything else, but I, I, it's so worth it. You know, I actually to wanted it. to go into the nonprofit. I was excited about the nonprofit. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> no, I don't but want to go do it. I wanted to talk about yours. Oh, oh, <laughs> I've really? worked in oh. nonprofits. Yeah, yeah. They're really great and really hard. So yeah. to, you started your, <laughs> you're crazy. You're like, since I'm moving schools, I'm going to go from Jewish to Catholic. I mean, might as well now. And you're like, oh, I'm getting a divorce. I'll launch a new business. <laughs> well, there is, you know, right. There's a span of years between these. You oh, know, I know. But you go events, like, but... let's go big. Let's go big. It was yeah. more like go necessary, I, yeah. you know, in all those cases. Same thing with the, with the high school decision. It was necessary. Yeah. Um, but lots I was of much business. happier. Were you much, much happier once you started your own business? Yes. Oh, yes. Because, um, well, for one, I, I was pretty much on the agency side of marketing communication. So you're rising through the ranks. And then it was my early 30s at the time. And I, uh, you know, got into management. I was director of a department and I built it up. Um, you know, from, you know, from, it's from just really started it. And I did not like the management side. Like I, I suddenly was not 
doing the work I like doing. I was, you know, dealing with personnel issues and, um, you know, running around without the resources I needed um, without very much control over, you know, what I had to do. So it was a challenge. I'm gonna cha One of the things I will say about the, the, those years was that it did teach me to be, to be entrepreneurial. I don't know that I had the entrepreneur bug before I had that experience. And, and then that the management experience itself gave me the foundation in part for going out on my own. So I, as much of that was, a, you know, some burnout there, quite honestly, um, I could certainly look at the positives from it that that made it possible for me to, you know, to have my freedom. Yeah, no kidding. It is crazy how things set you up. There's always a story before the story. Right. I mean, I think that's really where, you know, where, where we are, right. With, with the, the, how all these different kinds of life challenges turn into opportunities and things that are enriching. I, I've had a much more enriching relationship with my son as a single dad than I would have, if I had stayed in, in that situation, mm -hmm. no doubt about it. And then moving forward. So you did that and that was actually a great thing. And well, wait, I want to talk about your nonprofit. It's called the Internship Institute. It's still right. active from 2007. Right. 13 years. Yeah. Probably I actually, yeah. Longer than that in like, that's when it was launched. There was probably a lot more behind the scenes. Tell me about that and why. So I, I started, well, a couple of reasons. One is in the marketing business I was in, you know, it's a professional services kind of company. So you're billing by the hour. So, you know, you're limited in your income there to begin with. And then, in, and, and at that time it was bricks and mortar, right? I was just, I was a virtual agency. So we talked bricks and mortar. It was like them versus us, right? It was a whole big thing. Like, oh, well, you want a bricks and mortar because that's the safe thing to do. Um, and so, you know, I took some hits because of being ahead of the curve on, on the virtual company. And I, 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 I couldn't keep doing that. And I was looking for something different. I mean, I was 15 years into my career at that point, my first career then. And I always had a common thread around internships. I had four internships. Um, the last one led to my first job. I ran all the internship programs for all of those employers through those agency years. I just loved it. And, and I always go back to the school and area schools and, and talking to the, you know, the students about the, you know, the transition and things like that. So when I was at the point of looking to figure out, well, what is this entrepreneurial endeavor? I had these you know, different ideas, um, you know, what aligned most with my experience and passion and skill set, and of course, a market need. Um, I, I thought this was the right way to go. And I, I started it in 2005 and, and did both at the same time and realized a couple of things. One is that the whole industry is a frontier. It's still a frontier to this day um, for, for a number of reasons. But I developed all this intellectual property mainly around working with the employers. So when people think Internship Institute and um, you know, if anyone international hears this, apprenticeships, work experience, right, by any other name, you know, we're setting these programs up and really creating that opportunity pipeline. So I developed the here you go set of materials and, you know, just add talent kind of thing. And then I developed a whole training program for supervisors and mentors just to really drill down and manage that experience as, you know, where it happens. And so I couldn't get the intellectual property valuated meaning there was no precedent. So it's not like I could go to um, an, an investor, venture capital firm or something and say, well, here's my model and what I can compare it to, right? So yeah. that, that was somewhat of a barrier. And at the same time, when you're looking at internships, you're talking about um, economic development, workforce development, some of the things that were in and around grants. And I had the opportunity to get a federal grant, which I did win, um, and that anchored the, the nonprofit. So I started in 05 and then 07 founded the nonprofit and have run about a million dollars with the grants since then. Um, it sounds like a lot, but over the years and yeah. not all that money was for me. I mean, money, some of it was to pay interns and then, you know, projects and things and working with, with one-offs with employers for the most part besides that. Um, and those grants have involved disadvantaged youth, just the same as college students. I did one for military transition to help um, you know, vets as they came back into the civilian workforce and things. So it's been a great experience. And, you know, as of right now, I mean, intern, you know, for where we are, I mean, internships are lesser, you know, they're not quite happening as much. And um, I'm still doing projects and training and things, some trainings and things, but I'm 
I'm really now able and also want to focus on, uh, on, on things with the book that, you know, led, led us to this conversation. Yeah. Which was so fun. Awesome. I know. Was? Are we done? Nope. Oh, it has okay. been, it will continue to be. Nope. We're oh, not okay. done. All I right. just love that. So how is the nonprofit or is it? Cause I'm not seeing you do marketing and advertising and then you have this nonprofit. Did you just see a skill set and a need and plug it into that with the nonprofit and grant writing? Like that's a whole skill set in and of itself. I, I did not want right. to ever learn it when I was in the nonprofit world. No, there's nothing easy about it. And, no. and, and there are a lot of different aspects to even running the grant that are even more difficult. Yeah. Um, I, so for one, I mean, I had the skill set that I had just from my front end of my career. And I can't say that, oh, I suddenly, it was completely a set of transferable skills. Mm -hmm. um, it was really more the fact that, you know, in, in let's say for those first few years of my running my marketing firm and, and communication management, I was running a virtual internship program. So I already had that structure in place and it was just something that came naturally. I already had a lot of the materials to then build off of into the intellectual property from running my own program. And I realized that the schools weren't doing this. Um, it's a huge blind spot. Schools don't, I mean, we don't have time to get into that. No but, kidding. But um, it's it's a it's a total mess, and so at at the same time of of having a, a mission on a day to day to try and set up these programs one by one, and I can point back to ones from those early years that started with two interns, and they're running fifty interns a year now. So it's like you know it's annuities that I know that I was making that impact, and you know that that really is what what makes the difference for me is is to do that. Um, but there was a there there remains a much bigger systemic vision that I still need some ingredients um, that I, I can't I can't just organically make happen um, um, with, without other things happening. So I, it, it's good for the for the institute to kind of be marinating over here a little bit more than it yeah. has been, right? So to that answer, oh, I guess the one other part of your your question was with the grants. Um, that first grant, I got a fiscal agent. Uh, I, I couldn't as a, a fiscal agent for anyone who might not know, because I didn't know at first, right. is basically working with another nonprofit organization that kind of you piggyback off of where they're the ones that administer the grant from, a, from the financial standpoint, and then we're the ones that run the program. So as a startup nonprofit, there's no way I could get, the first grant was 375, right? The government's not going to give me that money without any track record of yeah. administering a federal grant. So that's why you have to do that kind of piggybacking. And, um, and that was nice because like, then I could focus on doing the doing. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, I kind of wondered. I have enough experience in nonprofit to be like, I don't understand how you did this. While you're a single dad and you're running your own business and you're doing that kind of 50% of the time because you're, you're being a dad too. So yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Let's keep moving forward in your life. You were a single yeah. dad. You loved it. You got yeah. to be a great dad. You have, a, you have this great relationship with your son. It was sad but worth it. The whole getting divorced thing sometimes is. Yeah, I don't really see it as sad. Okay. At least not. I mean, especially being remarried and very happily. So. Yeah. It's right. a big difference, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So move forward after being a single dad. Your son was two the your brother had an issue right so um my brother david who's closest to me um as i mentioned he was the one i was referring to before he definitely had his bouts with with depression but i, I think one of the things that that compounded that is that he he had a work injury he he fell from uh from from a high up uh whatever he was doing he was he was way up on a ladder or or, or some kind of scaffolding and um, he got very hurt and he had to go on opioids. He had to go on painkillers. And, um, you know, this is back in, uh, this is probably back around 2010. Uh, so I, I don't know that like the quote unquote opioid crisis was something that was really prominently, um, in the public eye. And it, it, it's also one of those things like, look, I mean, we, we all had our own families. And it's not, you know, even though yeah. we're close together geographically, it's not like we're always over each other's houses and mm -hmm. things. But Dave definitely was pushing people away. He, he really was a, a lot more to himself than my brother Mark or my sister Andrea. And um, 
and and I, I think that was kind of part of the just the behavior that goes with that is you you know you shut the world out and mm-hmm. he was very he was he was difficult to get to in, in that way you know he was not accessible in conversation um things like that and we we knew we knew that he was deteriorating but i mean you know his, his wife and he's you know he's got three kids um you know that's you know that's kind of his you know they've they're that's his family unit right and uh and in in october of 2012 he uh he checked out so um i, I mean he was he was in a lot of pain um physically and emotionally and um you know i think he he just couldn't take it anymore obviously so yeah which is i mean yeah that's one of those horrible things that you i don't think you ever make sense of entirely you can't i mean but i will say and i just to tie the you know the um conversation back to some of what we discussed with depression uh, you know, and people listening here, and I know that people this year in particular have, have lost their structure. They're more susceptible to this. People are under financial pressure. Uh, I really want to speak directly to them and, um, you know, the, make sure that if you're feeling like you can't keep yourself safe and you're out of the reaches of your family, that you do get professional help. And if, and that no matter how bad you feel, the thing with the, the depression is like the opposite of rose-colored lenses, right? You, everything's gray, and you know, the, as as much as as much as as bad as things may be, even um, you know, back to that whole notion of earned confidence, they won't always be that bad. And it's of course that's a lot easier said than certainly felt in that way. But the one silver lining right now is that there the access to to telehealth is a lot yes. better, right? So instead of that there's that a much bigger barrier. Like I have to call some doctor. I have to then go to some office, the lie on the couch, you know, stigma. You literally can, you know, there, there's a lot more access now that if you're feeling that way, it's instantaneous and just, you know, hop on a zoom like we are and, and have somebody take you through an eval and, and, you know, it's too important. You know, people are counting on people are counting on you and, and people love you. And, and, um, no matter how bad you feel, that's just nothing. That's not even an option. So, it's interesting when you talk to people who have had failed suicide attempts. Which is, <laughs> I talked to somebody who's like, "I hate that you say it that way." Well, I mean, there's a suicide attempt and it didn't work for some reason, and you're on right. the other side of it. Right. Um, when those people have someone close to them that commit suicide, it's like, oh my gosh, this is what I would have done to everyone around you. You know, you don't think in the heat of that moment when you just want the pain to end, emotional, physical, both, whatever it is, you can't imagine getting out of that moment. And when you take a step back and you realize how much bigger that impact is from that one moment you're trying to get out of, it's, I I think that's astounding when I hear people talk about that. Right. I mean, you know, they're, they're, yeah, I mean, they're a survivor. And I think you, again, with that, that those misconceptions and, and, and talking about perception, you know, you can see the, right, the exact same circumstance, completely opposite ways, this being the, the, the lesser of, of optimism. And, um, you know, you, you convince yourself that people would be better off without you, like that you mm-hmm. rationalize um, that and you're wrong. Yeah. That's the thing. So, you know, you get to the point you're like, well, people, the world would be better without me. And, you know, whatever that is, right? However you rationalize that, because you have to. Yeah. You get to that point, you're wrong. That's it. Yeah. And there's a hotline. So call it if you need to. Yeah, exactly. I do love the new way you can see doctors for every reason. (laughs) Right, Right. I love it. It's so much easier, but especially when you're talking about mental health issues where you need that more of that urgency. I know getting my annual exam, it's an annual exam. It's a well checkup, right? I go in, say hi, shake hands. Not anymore, but you know, I go and I say hi to my doctor. She says, go next door and get your blood work taken. I'll see you next year. Here's your mammogram slip. And I leave. And it, it took like before, the COVID-19 issue, it took like three months to get that appointment and it's been rescheduled twice. Now that is because of kind of the place that we're in, but the first time it was rescheduled, it wasn't, we weren't really there yet. And I'm like, Hmm. so it's actually going to be a year and a half or more 
before now and that's not that's not super urgent but it's just crazy how long it takes and so i love the new way of doing things love it okay i want to talk i want to spend the last 10 minutes or so really diving in there's so much positivity that you thread through you took the situations that you had in your experience and you really turned them into something different which is like my favorite thing to do you've talked about earned confidence a couple times can you dive just a little bit and i know that this is in your book so i don't want you to give away trade secrets i bought your book by the way oh yeah thank you you're welcome i'll rate it i'm honored if you buy a book and you read it, please leave a review. Please, 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 please always leave a review. Okay. So or, or see the reviews first. You know, you yeah. never know, right? You never know. I mean, I can't really claim that I mean in my in my younger in my twenties, maybe my early thirties, I was more into personal development and consuming and, and reading books. I mean, it's easily been twenty years since I've had the urge to, oh, I have to read this, read that. So when I wrote this book, I didn't have a um, uh, you know, a, a frame of reference for, oh, what's this person writing or what's that book about? Yeah. So, you know, I already knew in having the style of that personal conversation and the disclosures and anecdotes and things that are you know, unique to me that the book would, you know, be unique, but you just never know uh, you know, until, you know, for all the things that you discuss and I'm just really grateful. It's been, it's been very well received. And, you know, I, I, um, you know, I, 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 I'm loving the podcast to <laughs> have the opportunity to talk about it and yeah. these issues, you know, to be able to help people. And that's really the goal. So I, you know, I don't run a coaching business. I don't, you know, this isn't like a business card book for me. This is, you know, the goal is to get, you know, get it in everyone's hands and have that impact. So, you know, with their confidence being at the, at the foundation of it, I think it's a lot to do. I think it's really a lot of, of about outsmarting worry. Um, yeah. And how common that is. And, you know, babies are not born warriors. And, and so how do you, how do you work on um, un, unlearning that? And so, and a lot of it happens in our subconscious and some of the things we were talking about before about making assumptions, the same kind of thing. And what you have to do if you can't catch yourself in the moment is you have to look at the, you know, the outcome of, I was worried about something and it didn't happen. And then you have to stop and be like, what did I do to myself? What did I do to other people who I expressed this to? Because now you're getting into your energy and your, you know, your negative energy and the impact of, of that. And we have a personal responsibility around that um, on, on a number of fronts. But then by reminding yourself that you put yourself through something unnecessarily, it, it, you know, it's kind of like that snapping rubber band. You know, the next time... Um, you can e more easily catch yourself and say, oh, no, 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 I, you know, I've got this, you know, whatever's, whatever's happening. Um, I, I've, I, I know I can deal with it I, I, as if I have even a choice, you know, and even right. if you don't have the answer, you know, we're all survivors and, and we're going to find a way, like, just like we always have. So grounding in that, grounding in gratitude um, is, is a big one. And, and the other thing I talk about it, and this is, comes later in, 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 in the writing, you know, we get into heightening mindfulness and things. And we do talk about the law of attraction and then beyond that. And, and then, you know, that chapter being more of a education chapter, it comes, it comes down to like what we expect tends to happen. Like that's kind of the summation of the law of attraction. And so when we, if you believe in the law of attraction and you're somebody who worries, then you're contradicting yourself because, Worrying is, a, is about having an expectation of something you don't want to happen. So that, in fact, it's possible that by worrying, you couldn't be contributing to causing the very thing that you don't want to happen. So, um, I, I mean, I know that maybe seems like a stretch, but hey, if it's there, it's true. So... I, the, the most interesting thing about manifestation, because you're kind of talking about manifestation, and I don't think you can just be like, I want a million dollars and it's in your account. It doesn't, it's not like that. But the best advice I got to positively manifest in your life is to feel, you imagine the end result right. and you sit and you think, this is what it would feel like. Yes. Where I'm right. into it. You have right. to step into it. Right. Okay. So, of course, it makes sense on the opposite side. That if you're feeling the stress and the I don't want it to happen and the fear and the worry and the, you know, that you're manifesting that too, because you 
tend to attract what you're right. really feeling. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I claim no originality whatsoever about the law of attraction. I mean, I'm just no, kind of, I love like, it like, though. Like putting it there, but you know, basically, you know, you're reflecting it very well. And, and it's what our lives are, are basically a a cumulative reflection of all of, all of that alignment and all that energy. And, you know, right. We're, you know, it's kind of an energy. It's, I mean, it's quantum physics based. I mean, there's a lot of science behind it. I'm the last person to also explain quantum physics. Uh, But uh, you know, I think people who, who listen to you, probably are more inclined to be into this and already know about it. I was able to really accept the thought of energy work because when you come from a religious background that they don't, they don't really match that much. Um, And I thought it was fascinating, but I really did when I had a friend and I just said, look, I love what you're doing, but I don't get it. And she was like, oh, that's easy. It's just physics. I don't remember the answer she gave me. I asked her every question that I could think of. But I do, what I can tell you is that once she just described everything and it was scientific based, I was like, oh, now I can accept it. Well, I mean, look, everybody has, everybody, it's a We're belief system issue. Yes, I mean, it is. You have to take a little bit of a leap of faith. And look, yep. it's hard to maintain. I mean, you can't yeah. live your day in and out with the demands of it be like, you know, all law of attraction. You have to be able to fold gratitude as triggers throughout your day um, in order to kind of stay in that flow. So um, I'll stop there. Yeah, we're all different, but that's how I had to. And now I'm like, my husband's like, you are becoming woo. And I'm like, I know, isn't it great? It's science, it's physics. I love it, but I'm not quite woo woo. I'm not, I'm not that far, but yeah. I mean, something like this is more of a personal experience and it is. It, it has less to do, I mean, at least initially with, oh, I'm going to manifest this, I'm going to manifest that. And, and look, it certainly a lot of limits to it. And, and I, I do address that. It's, you know, you, you can't manifest something effortful. I mean, a yeah. book doesn't, a book doesn't write itself, you know, a business doesn't start what? itself, right? <laughs> I'm so, so mad now. you know, how do you, how do you combine those kinds of things is, is really what I enjoy getting into later on. But at the front end of that, even just, again, it's a lot about being rooted in gratitude. That's when you get that feeling of swimming with the current and being in the flow and just things going your way. And starting to experience more coincidences and you know those so that's a personal experience so only an individual who starts working at that the same as they would anything to experience the 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 effect of that effort will then gain a greater confidence in doing it more by you know that happening i love it so I want to ask you about something else because <laughs> when I saw it, I was like, he, he like knows stuff I thought you about hit me. all the tough questions. Okay. I want Fire to talk away. about, okay. I want to talk about making coincidences matter because you use the example of 1111. I was like, <gasps> I see ones everywhere. So if it's, I want to make sure that it is what I'm assuming it is. Cause you know what assumptions can mean. And I know we've talked a little bit about so, coincidence. I, I, have a, um, I have an active example of making coincidences matter. Okay. And then, um, and so that's, I guess that would be chapter 10 and 1111, of course, is chapter 11, right? And that's just ah. an expression of, you know, 1111 is kind of a part of that experience of being in the flow and synchronicity and a trigger for gratitude and, you know, kids make wishes or it's kind of, it's, it's yeah, what you yeah. make of it, right? Right. Um, now, coincidences, are again a very unique experience and how people you know decide that something is or isn't or in the aftermath of one being it you know i'm talking about making it matter making it meaningful so i was um so last week we have a few minutes here i hope oh yes Uh okay it's gonna take a bit i thought this would be super positive so i wanted to it is super positive it's very positive but i don't have the full answer yet because it's in the middle Okay. all right i like that so last week i was talking to i was on another podcast and you know in in the aftermath and just getting to know each other i we somehow got in the conversation of them suggesting that i might consider starting a podcast myself and i thought oh Okay, that's interesting. Um, I hadn't really quite considered it, but sure. And I've been thinking about it since. And then a few days later, I was talking to somebody uh, networking, but podcast related in uh, Australia. And she 
said, oh, well, there's this course that's happening next week that, you know, I'll ask if you can join. So she did. And, and I was, you know, invited in and I signed up and, um, you know, as part of that, they like, well, come to our Facebook page and introduce yourself and everything else. So rewinding a half step and, and I'm just like getting used to social media more and, you know, I'm a little old school in that way, but like I have a hashtag that I decided is be the difference. So if you go on my LinkedIn or some of my things, my hashtag is be the difference. And, okay. and um, I really have hardly seen anyone using it now that I've said it, like what's going to happen. Right. So I go to this Facebook page to, you know, to, to just introduce myself to this group that's going to be in this podcast. And it's hashtag be the difference movement. Same hashtag. I did not find this through social media. I did. I found this randomly. Like another human being is using this hashtag. And it just so happens that it, it, it came from my, getting in a conversation with the person in Australia who recommended me this course I have yet to take. And this woman who's claims to be the podcasting queen, queen of podcasting, something along those lines is her. Okay. Uh, and so naturally I'm going to be going through this course next week. There's something very strong. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty strong coincidence. Um, astro, you know, in terms of math, you know, math. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I've had more stronger ones than that, but uh, it's up there. So Okay, so I'm I'm definitely wide-eyed about what this is and taking it seriously and uh, getting to know this person in particular. Hmm. So it's kind I'll of I'll circle like, back and let you know what happens. I mean, holy cow! Right? Isn't, I know it's pretty crazy. Yeah, and we all come to these. If we, I always think if I hear about something, let me start seven more times. If I hear about something more than once, if it's a second or a third time that I hear something or someone says something, you know, someone can say something once, like you should start a podcast and you're like, Oh yeah, I'm thinking about it. And then when you have something else that reinforces that, I'm like, okay, so somehow I need to listen to this or take action or look deeper, dive deep, more deeply. Right. And of that's, course. I mean, that's how books get written and podcasts get started and businesses get and people created. meet and, or reconnect. And you're right. right. And, and there are, you know, there's a spectrum, uh, yeah. naturally with, with a coincidence. And a lot of people talk about the things happen, you know, the third thing in short succession, I really should kind of follow. Oh, that, I, th- right? I think it's, it's right? three. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, there's three. something, there's something to it for sure. It's definitely part of being in the flow and synchronicity. Um, but I think the more, I think the more, significant coincidences happen when you are in a conversation typically with someone who you don't know very well typically Mm. when you go off on a tangent having Mm -hmm. a conversation you had no business having right that that leads to something much more mathematically unusual in my experience so that's all i I, that's that's well i and this is an example of that for me so Now, you know, one of the things is, hey, well, keep a coincidence journal. You know? ah. And then the other thing is, well, uh, okay, there's this coincidence, and then I decide to follow through. So then there's the debate of, oh, I followed through and this happened. Well, was it a coincidence in the first place, or it only happened because I decided to follow through? Does it matter? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like. Okay. It's, so it's like it's to each their own. You know, whatever, you know, go for it or ignore it. Yeah, no kidding. Matt, I have loved talking to you today. Thank you so much for being on and for sharing all of your story and all of your insight. I appreciate it. Everything will be in the show notes. And if we have anything to add before the release, I will make sure that it's there also. But I just, I'm really grateful that you were here. Tell me about where people can find the book. I'm going to put the link in the show notes. Tell me about it. Show me it. Awesome. Um, well, the, the, the link in the show notes, uh, you know, Z or Z, however you pronounce that letter, um, hyphen isms.com. There's uh, some free resources there. There's a, the front end sample of the book is there. Mm. And, uh, you know, the same things on Amazon and people can read the reviews. And my hope is that they'll have enough interest just to read the first part for free. And if they'll know if they want to keep reading on and you know, my goal is to have that impact and, and hopefully people get who decide to, to get it, get, you know, experience that. I know we've touched on like barely anything in the book, but I really appreciate what you've shared. Can you hold it up and show me? Because I love seeing it. It makes me super proud. Yeah. 
Yeah. Come through. It's kind of like the light. <laughs> there we go. There we go. There we go. It's perfect. Okay. Thank, thank you, you so much. Now people will know what to recognize. Thank perfect. you again so much for being on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> <laughs>